honestly, today's, today's sermon is kind of, it's something that I really want to talk about today. I, I, oh, man. This, this is a great week of Thanksgiving, giving thanks to God for all that he's doing. Uh, just having a time with family and, and giving thanks. But I, I think back to my childhood as a Korean American, raised, born and raised in California. There were just certain times that it was awkward. It was awkward to be Asian American. And, and not just in like a racist way where I was looked down upon. That. It's not that. It, it's awkward. It was awkward when I brought friends home from school into our house. It, it, was, always, it was always really awkward. And, and the reason why it was awkward might surprise you, I guess. I'm not surprised you. If you're, if you're Korean American, you probably understand already. But like the first thing is, is when you invite a friend to come over to your house, um, and I, I had a lot, of, a lot of white friends, and so it would be like, hey, can you take off your shoes? And they would be like, ah, like, why, why am I taking off my shoes? Like, my, my feet smell. Like, I don't want to take off shoes. It's like, because, I don't know, it's an Asian thing. Like, it's, it's just like what we do. Um, and, and it always created this tension in me. It, and it basically culminated with my best friend in elementary school. And he was, he was a kind, he was cool with all the other rules, like, you know, certain rules about how, how we did things in the house, and he was, he was cool with it. Um, but as I became super close with him, and he came over to our house more frequently, he started talking to my mom. And, and you know, it began with how you talk to your parents, uh, your friends' parents all the time. It's just like, you know, hi, all, all these things. But as he became my best friend, and we were super close, he became close to my parents. And so there was this one moment where he went to my mom, and he's like, hey, Mary, can I get a drink from the fridge? My mind blew up. It was like, you, you just called my mom Mary? Like, that's her first name. Like, what are you doing? And my mom, bless her heart, she looked at him, and she's like, Marcus, my name is Mrs. Rowe. You do not call me Mary. And you can just see the blood rush from Marcus's face. He felt so embarrassed. He was like, oh, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Rowe. And he, like, he like, kind of like a bow. And it's like, you're not even Korean. You're not even Asian. Like, why are you bowing? And he just, he just sensed like, Man, and, and I remember talking to him after him, like, oh, I'm so sorry, man. And he's like, no, I get it. It's, it's all cool. I was like, oh, it's like, I hate the Korean side because there's just so much respect involved. And the thing is, it wasn't even my mom getting mad at my friend that was like the most like, ugh, like gut-wrenching. It was the idea of like my mom is going to tell my dad. And I really didn't want her to tell my dad because my dad, if he hears my friend Marcus called my mom by her first name. He's going to blow up. He's going to get so angry. Like, kids these days, they have no respect for their elders. They have no respect for, for, for people over them. And I just didn't want that. I didn't want that lecture because I grew up with that lecture. I grew up with that, that idea all the time. It's like, man, kids these days. And I was like, you know, in elementary school, oh, my American friends, they have no respect for their elders. And so I had this fear growing up. Fear growing up of not just my parents, but just of the culture in general, where you go to church, and I went to a Korean-speaking Korean church, where, where you have to bow 90 degrees. You have to make sure you show reverence. And, and it's like, doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter if you know their name or not. It's because they're older that you have to, like, show them this respect. And it's not even the respect aspect. It's the fear attached with it. If you don't, I'm going to tell your dad. You know, if you don't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point you out in front of everyone saying that you are disrespectful. And there were kids in our church that didn't show that kind of respect. They weren't raised in that kind of culture. And so what the parents do? That kid? No respect. And, and, and so they, it, it was literally like this. Like they would see the kids all running. Oh, hi, 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 hi. And as soon as they run by, they didn't, none, of them, none of them bowed to me. You know, none of, them, none of them came groveling at my feet saying, oh, thank you so much for coming to church. And, it, and that was kind of the, the way we grew up. So I had a lot of fear 
of elders, fear of adults, my parents included. And interestingly enough, that translated to church. That translated to my relationship with God. And this is something, again, um, coming from a Korean-American background. The way you approach God is with fear, being afraid, being scared. Because why? God's watching down on you. He sees everything. He's like the, the crazy Santa Claus. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you do all these bad things. And so as a kid, I remember going to church and making sure, like, taking a list in my head. Did I do anything bad this week? Okay. No, I didn't do anything bad. Okay. So I can go to church and I can sing. I can, I can like, you know, play around and do all these things because I didn't do anything bad. So my relationship with God was built on this fear. And there were times where in church you would hear about the fear of the Lord. And I'll be like, yeah, I definitely got that. Like, I, if I ace a test in church, like, that's definitely a, a, a test I ace, is, is having, being afraid of God, being afraid of, of him coming down and killing me, him coming down and punishing me, him coming down and torturing me because God hates my sin. And in a lot of ways, it was like, God doesn't only hate my sin, but he doesn't even like me that much. And so it's, it's, it's this idea that I'm afraid of him because I don't want to get on bad terms with him. And so I was the really good kid because I was so afraid of God. I was so afraid of what he was going to do to me. So some of you are probably thinking, oh, that's why he's a pastor. He's a pastor because he's so scared of God. And what I want to say is this. What I want to bring to you today is a, is a new way of looking at the fear of God. And, and it's something that I've been developing over a few weeks, but, but really this past week I was really thinking about this. Is I, I'm not going to be here and, and to tell you that Okay, the way, you, the way you understand this is that you reinterpret what the word fear means. Fear doesn't mean fear. It means respect. It means this and that. And okay, let's throw that out the window. Because fear actually is fear. It's, it's being afraid. And, and, and it's not... Man, I'm so excited to bring you this message. Let me, let me tell you. I'm so excited because I feel like if we understand this, then we can cultivate a, a proper fear of God. Then we're going to understand something about the nature of reality, the nature of life. And I, I hope you just hang on tight with me because we're going to unpack this. We're going to unpack this through two texts, one from the Old Testament, which is Psalm 111, and then one from the New Testament. It's going to be Matthew chapter 25. And, and what I want to do is, is to explain that it's not something new. This is something that the Hebrews, the Israelites understood, that the fear of God, let, let's just get there. So if you would open up your Bibles with me to Psalm Chapter 111, so Psalm 111, and we're going to start reading from verse 1. We're going to read the entire psalm. It says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord. And so let's focus on that word works. We're going to see it a lot in this, in, in this psalm. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty in his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. All right. So I, I'm, I'm, I just literally read to you a psalm, one that it, it is accompanied by music. It's like the way that they worship. It's the way that they're saying these things. And I don't know if you got the tone. Um, especially high school kids, you're, you're, you know, you read, you read stuff and you try to figure out what's the tone, what's the mood of, of this. And as you could think, Psalm 111 is a lot about the fear of God, how, how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if you think, okay, so what's the tone of this song? Is it to be trembling, to be scared, to be frightful? No, it's the exact opposite. It's saying we look at the works of God, at what he's doing, and his works reflect his character, and his character is merciful. It's gracious. He's holy. He's good. And we see that from his works. And so we give thanks to him. And for whatever reason, when you look at the works of God and you see the character of God, it talks about the fear of God. And so this is really the crux of today's sermon. The, the, the one takeaway I want to get from you is that when we see how good God is, when we see how good his works are, when we see that everything that God does is successful, it's prosperous, it's good for us, it produces inside of us a fear. And the fear that I want to explain is I have to explain the opposite of this fear or a different type of the same kind of fear. And I know I'm getting kind of like heady and stuff, so just stick with me a little bit. But I don't know about you, but I have these existential crisis moments where you kind of look at your life, you kind of, um, you, you take in all that you've done or all that you're currently doing, and you ask the question that causes this existential dread inside of me. And the question is, why? Like, why? I, I, I specifically remember when I was in high school. I, I remember this, this existential dread started to, to come into my life very frequently because I was studying for the SATs. And it, it was the question, it's like, why am I doing this? Why am I working so hard to do well on a test that, that it doesn't even matter? Five years from now, no one's going to care. I remember even in college when we, when we talked to all our friends, we were asking ourselves, like, hey, what did you get in your SATs? Everyone's like, I don't remember. Like, it didn't, doesn't matter anymore. No one cares what your SAT scores is. And it's like, yeah, so why did we study so hard? Why did we work so hard? I remember thinking about the same thing with being popular at school. Why? Like, what's the point of being popular? It's because, it, like, really, does it matter too much that I, I make all these friends and I, I, have, I, I, I go to the right parties, I go to the right social events and make sure that people see me? Like, what's really the point? Because now, how many high school friends do I talk to? And so I would have these moments. And even now, as we, uh, my wife and I are expecting our, our next child, there's almost a question that I have to ask myself. I'm like, I'm 28 years old. What am I doing with two kids? Like, what am, I, what am I doing with my life? And what's the point of this? I see my friends on Instagram and Facebook traveling the world. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? You know, I'm stuck here with these kids. I have all this, this, this pressure. And that's what leads me to the answer. When I experience times like that, I mean, I feel this existential dread even when I look up like astronomy, astronomy videos on YouTube and like they zoom out from where we are on earth and it shows how tiny we are. And I'm like, really, what's the point of life? I'm, I'm but a speck. But the answer comes in, in Christ. It comes in Jesus. And the fact that Jesus came down and he died for us and he promises us new life and not just eternal life, not just a life that lasts forever, but a new life in him, a life that's fulfilled and glorious with the purpose with the answer to the why of 
giving glory to God, of serving him forever and ever. And it's that idea that we talked about when we had our sermon series on prayer, that many times in our lives, we try to formulate for ourselves a path, a plan that we, we try to walk down, we try to be faithful with. But what prayer does is it slowly turns our path back onto God's perfect plan for us. And what we know as believers is that God's plan for you, God's plan for me, is way better than any plan that we could make for ourselves. And so again, this existential dread of why am I doing all these things? Why am I trying to be popular? Why am I trying to make money? Why am I working so hard on my job? Why am I doing all these things that it gets answered by, the, the why question gets answered by because God desires it for me. God has called it for me. See, this is the fear that I believe Psalm 111 is talking about. The fear of the Lord is a fear that I'm going to live my life the way that I want to, based on my works, based on what I'm producing, that my life will amount to what I've done. And so when you look back at your life and, and you ask the question, why did I do all these things? That hopefully you'll be able to look back and say, I did this for my children. I did this so I could help the world. I could help the community. And the irony of it is, is that's not where wisdom begins. That's actually where, where wisdom ends. Because if your life just is amounted to what you can say on your deathbed, oh, I'm so thankful my children were raised. I have grandchildren. I have a big house. When you die, it's all over. When a child gets sick and they pass away, it's over. When you lose your job, when you become bankrupt, when your investments go sour and you become poor, God forbid, all of a sudden, the work that you built, your path, the purpose of your life comes crumbling down. The beginning of wisdom is having the fear of God. The beginning of wisdom is having the fear of God saying, I'm afraid that I'm going to go down my path. I'm afraid of not following God. I'm afraid of not being near him. I'm realizing more and more that it's about being like a child. It's being, it's being sensitive to where God is. My daughter, God bless her, she's like two years old and, and think I'm so happy because she's clingy to me. Like she, she likes me now. Like when she was one year old, she, she didn't really like me very much. Now she's two years old, she wants to be by me all the time. And I love it. I mean, it's annoying at times, but I love it, like, for the most part. So at church, I mean, even here where she knows most people, like, she'll, she'll look for me. Daddy, where are you? Daddy. And she'll say, oh, it's, it's so cute. She'll go, Daddy, where are you? And, and, and she'll come to me and she'll, she'll hold on to my leg. That's the kind of fear that this is talking about. That when we go in our lives, that it's the fear of being far from God. It's the fear of not having relationship with God. That we would not go into this world, go into our lives and say, no, no, Dad, I got it. God, I got it. I'm going to do all this good work. I'm going to produce all this good fruit, and I'm going to bring it back to you, and I'm going to be like, look at what I did. No. The fear of God is saying, Lord, I know, I know I'm capable, but I need you by my side. I need you next to me. Because when I'm apart from you, I'm so scared. I'm so lost. I need to see your works. I need to see your hand. I need to see your character. And again, this is where in your day-to-day -day life, the fear of God is not fear and trembling. Oh, Lord, I'm so scared of you. It's, oh, Lord, I'm so scared to be far from you. 
I'm so scared to be far from your plan and desire for my life. I need to hold on to you. I need to cling on to you. I want to see your works. I don't want to see my works. I want to see your hand, not my doing. The way I want to kind of crystallize this isn't even with Psalm 111. It's with Matthew chapter 25. We're gonna, and, and to give you a little context of what this is, this is the parable of the talents and the servants with the talents. And so essentially the way it boils down is that the master, and the master represents God, gives a different portion of talents to different servants. And so he gives one of the servants, the first servant, he gives him five. And then for the last servant, and there's three of them, for the last servant, he gives him one. And so again, there's kind of a disproportionate sense, but we'll focus on the first and the last. The first guy, he has five. He has five of these talents. And gold talents, it's a measure of gold. It's a, and so we don't know exactly how much money it was, but it was a lot of money. It was in the thousands of dollars in today's terms. Thousands and thousands of dollars. And so he gave this first guy a huge measure of five of these talents of gold. And, and what the guy does is what is amazing. He takes that five and he trades with it, and that's what it's, it's in the Greek. He trades. He, like, invests in different things. He barters. He does all those things, and he makes that five talents into ten talents. So he's a great servant. So he goes back, and he's like, Sir, uh, Master, look what I've done with this money. And the master's like, good job. The last servant, he's the servant that we all know of. He's the servant that he gets the one talent, the littlest amount, but it's still a lot, and he buries it in the ground. And so we're going to read today the response of the servant. And I want to disprove to you, I want to like, get it down in your minds that God does not want you to be afraid of him. He wants you to be afraid of being far from him. And so let's, let's read, starting from verse 24. It says, he also, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. And, and let's stop right there for a second. I don't know how many times when I was thinking about God when I was thinking about the Father in heaven, when I was in church, when I was, when I was growing up in the church, that I said the same thing. Master, God, I knew you, you're a hard man. You're strict. Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, been, who will, be, who, who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in, the pl- in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's rough. It's crazy how this all works down to the fear of God. This servant basically tells his master, Master, the reason why I buried your talent in the ground is because you're, you're so strict. Like, you're, you're a hard man. You, you have so many rules, you have so many regulations, you have so many expectations. And so when I look at you, I'm scared. I was afraid. And so I didn't do with anything with that money that you gave me. I didn't, I didn't do anything with it. I just buried it in the ground, and I know I didn't lose it. It, it wasn't lost. And so here, have it back. The master's response is a simple one. He shows that he is strict. 
He shows that he is a he is a master of judgment, that he doesn't let any wrong go left unturned. He doesn't let any wrong left, uh, go left unpunished. He punishes all the wickedness. But the wickedness wasn't the fact that his servant lost the money, lost the talent. The wickedness was the servant did nothing with it at all. That The servant was crippled by fear. The servant was, was led by his fear of the master to do nothing with it. So he's cast out. He's basically cast out into a place that's similar to hell. He's cast out away from the kingdom, the house of the master. So how does this relate to us? How does this come down to us? And what I want to admit to you is that I am that last servant. In many ways. In many ways, my life has been formed around a fear of God. A fear of God that if I don't do the right thing, if I don't do well, then God is going to cast me out. And so many times that holds me back because I'm so afraid. And, and again, let me, let me tell you, like it's, it's when I meet with non-Christians. I, I hate telling people I'm a pastor. I hate telling people that. Thankfully, I'm still in school, so I, I, I tell them, like, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm a student. I'm a grad student. You know, I'm studying. And they're like, what are you studying? I'm like, um theology and philosophy. And they're like, oh, that's cool. Like, well, you know, what are you learning about? I learn about God. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, why am I so afraid? And there comes a point even afterwards, I, I, I become even more afraid about my faith, what I believe. I'm afraid to fail. There's a part of me that, that even when I come up to sing and I come up to, to preach, there's a part of me that, 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 that is afraid. Because what is God going to say? What is he going to say? And it's, it's, it's like I try so hard because of that fear as well. It's like I want to do well for the church. I want to do well for the ministry. But what happens if I don't perform? What if I don't double the money? What if God's blessings on my life that it doesn't amount to anything? What if I screw up? What if I mess up? So when it comes time to actually pray, when it comes time to actually be intimate with God, there's something that always holds me back. There's that guilt, that shame. Lord, I didn't go all out for you. I was afraid to share the gospel because I'm afraid. See, the fear of God is the exact opposite. It's that God's always with me. God's next, right beside me. That, that if you could even imagine that, the, that, that Jesus is, is with you at all times, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, that when someone comes to talk to you, someone comes to meet you, and someone comes just to share their life with you, that you're like, wait, 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 don't worry about what I can do, what I can say. It's not about what my works, about how I can bless you. Let me introduce you to this guy named Jesus. Because his work, what he's doing is so good. It's so wonderful. It's so amazing. Let me share that with you because he's awesome. That fear is that fear that my daughter has, is that when we're far from God, we're looking for him. We're saying, God, where are you? I want to be with you. I want to be next to you. I want to be close to you. And I think in this parable, what we see is with the first servant, and I know I'm adding a lot of interpretation into it, but the first servant had a lot to lose. He had five talents to lose. But for whatever reason, he chose probably one of the most dangerous things to do, and he traded with it. I mean, imagine in our day, it's like stocks and options. He, he was the one that was trading all these things, doing all these transactions, and at the end of the day, even though it's super risky, and he did all these investments with these talents, that it came back, and, and he, he made double. 
He made double because he took that risk. He took that risk to invest. He took that risk to do all these things. And so when the master even responds to the, to the last sermon, he's like, you should just put it in a savings account and gotten a little bit of interest because then at least I would have got something for my return. What I want to say is we need to do the same way with our lives, with the way in which we act and operate in the church, in ministry, in our communities, in, in the, with the people we don't, even, we don't even know very well that we would take a chance. We would take risks. We would go out because God is next to us. God is with us. We would follow his plan. What I mean by this is, is, is simple, at least in terms of our church. There are some people in here that are really scared about serving the children's ministry. Like really, they're, they're like legitimately scared. They're like, you know what, if I go into children's ministry, I'm afraid that some of these kids are going to lose their faith because of me. Because if they saw how bad I am, if they saw how dirty I am, and they saw my past, these kids, if they heard it, man, they would, they would just fall off and they would no longer come to church. That attitude is the same attitude of this last sermon. If I, if, I, if I do something with this, this talent, if I do something with this amount of money, if I give it, if I, if I invest it, if I do something with it, it's, I'm going to lose it all. And then when it comes down for the master to come back home and, and I have to tell him what I did with my life, I'm going to say, I lost it all. I wasted it all. It's all gone. And so, you know, instead, I'm not going to serve in children's ministry. I'm not going to serve by cooking food. I know there's some of you that, that we, eat, we eat lunch after this. And some of you are, are really have a desire to serve, but you're like, if I serve food, it's going to get some people sick, it's going to taste bad, and everyone's going to hate me. And so what do you do? You bury that talent in the ground. You bury that heart in the ground. So instead of serving, you're saying, Lord, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. So I'm just going to bury this. Some of you are even called to preach. Some of you are called to come up and not, not, maybe not preach in church, but you're called to preach to your friends. You're called to do that, to use the talent that God has given you. And not just the money, not the finances, but your life that God has given you. That you would do it in a way in, in which that he wouldn't call you lazy. He wouldn't call you slothful. The fear of God is, is saying, you know what? God is with me, and I trust in his character, in his goodness, and so I will take risks. I will take chances. And the crazy thing, Jesus is telling this parable to explain the kingdom of God. And the funny thing is, is this, is we know in the real world where there's sin, there will be losses, that there is a chance to lose, there is a chance to fail, because trust me, I've even done you know, investments where it's totally failed, and you lose money, and you feel that, that weight and pressure. But the way in which Jesus presents this is that those who are faithful in God's kingdom will double. They will double. Those that, that do take that chance, take that risk, are willing to work for God's kingdom, there will be fruit born out of it. And so again, for people that want to serve in the food ministry, that want to serve in the homeless ministry, that want to serve in the children's ministry, the youth ministry, what I guarantee you is that God will take your work. He will take your investment. He will take your whatever you put in and he will bear fruit out of it if you're doing it unto him, if you're doing it with him right by your side, if it's by his leading. Church, the reason why I'm so passionate about this topic, about fearing God, is because so many times we act and have the same heart as this last servant. And what we end up doing is this. When that, when that servant with the five talents was trading it, when he, when he was taking the pit, bit, bits and pieces of the talent and, and investing in different companies, there's a time 
There, there is legitimately a time where because he's investing all that money, that servant has nothing. All, all the money that, that God has, in, or the master has entrusted with him, it's all working. It's all being sown. It's all, it's all there. So he has nothing in his hands. And again, that money isn't even his. The money, he understands, it's the master's money. It's not mine. And so when his hands are empty and all the talents are all invested, they're all being used outside the world, can you imagine the heart of the servant with the one talent? He's holding on to that one talent. He's like, hey, check this out. Hey, don't worry. I got it stored away safely where I know I don't have to worry about how the markets are doing. I don't have to worry about how things are going out there. I'm safe. I don't need to go out of my comfort zone. I'm protected. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I've been in the church long enough to know that there's also the whisperings of the person with one talent. Hey, did you hear that person invested in, in that guy? Psh, waste of time. Did you hear what that person did? No good. See, what ends up happening is if we have this fear of God, this, this desire to be by him and close to him and work for his kingdom to produce the fruit, the good, good fruit of the kingdom, we battle gossip. Because there's no gossiping intended. There's no gossiping needed. Because in the same way that the person with five talents, all that money is out of their hands being used to, to do whatever it needs for God's kingdom to expand. I have just as much as you have. But many times in the Western church, in the American church, what we do with our gifts, our blessings, we hoard them. We, we, we take them, we protect them, and we say, no, I have to bury this in the ground. I have to make sure that I have enough. I have to make sure that it's mine, that it's, it's, it's based on what my needs need. And so when an investment opportunity comes, into God's kingdom. Maybe it's a missions trip. Maybe it's an opportunity to serve in a ministry at church. Maybe it's just simply giving a homeless person a meal that what we first say and we evaluate is like, no, 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 no. I got to protect my talent that's buried in the ground. Church, I want us to not, to not to fear God. I don't want us to be afraid of him. I want us to be afraid of being apart from him. And I will guarantee you, I've seen it time and time again in our culture, is that our families are becoming more insular. Our, our communities are becoming more indiv individualistic. It's becoming to this point where it's about me. It's about what I need to do. That many times people come to church, they listen to a sermon, they leave right away. What I'm saying is, let's get our hands a little bit dirty. And I know the fear is, is that I'm going to lose my life. I'm going to lose my comfort. I'm going to lose all of these things. But what I'm saying is that God's kingdom, the economy of God's kingdom, is that when you step out of that comfort zone, when you step outside and you're with God and you know that God is next to you, that there will be fruit born out of it. If you open up your house, invite people in, talk to them about faith, talk to them about their family, about how they're doing, that, that is a level of discomfort that's involved in that. But you're investing it into the kingdom of God. And I guarantee you there will be fruit born out of it. I know it's way more easy to keep our doors shut it's way more easy to, to have it be where no one's ever been inside of your home because your home is your home. But what I want to say is like, that's like bearing a, a gift of God into the ground. Some of you, it's, it's your time. 
that your time is so well guarded, it's so well buried in the ground, that when it comes an opportunity to serve, and, and really, I, I'm, a, I'm such a huge fan of short-term missions, that when it comes to your vacation time, that so much is it better for, for us to say unto God and say, God, this is not my time. It's not my talent. It's yours. And we give it to him. And I'll guarantee you, every mission trip, every short-term mission trip that I've been on, the fruit that was born out of it was way better than any vacation. It was way more fulfilling where I was able to see not my works, but I was able to see God's works. And the more I saw God's works, the more I wanted to be close to him and near to him. The way we're going to end today's service, today's sermon, is by understanding that this is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus lived his life. His life was built on a fear of God. And let me tell you, Jesus was not afraid of God, but Jesus was afraid of being apart from God. He was afraid of not being in God's will, of his plan. So even when it came time for him to be crucified on a cross for our sins, he asks, he asks God, take this cup away from me. I, I, I'm afraid. I don't, I don't want to do this. I, I'm scared. But he was more afraid, not of death, but he was more afraid of being disobedient to God. That he was willing to sacrifice his entire life for us. And again, I want to prove to you, the economy of God bears fruit. Because through the death, the single death, the one death of Jesus Christ, now billions are saved. That's the kind of economy God wants to work with in us. Is he wants us to get out of our comfort zones, to stop bearing our talents into the ground, and he wants us to use it. He wants us to utilize it. And you know what? There is risk of failure. There is risk that it won't work out. But you know what? God is the kind of master that if you fail, he's not going to say you're evil. He's going to say, come on home. He's, he's the kind of father that, that's shown in the, pro, the, the parable of the prodigal son. The, the, the father that even if you lose everything, as long as you come home, God's going to say, come here. He's going to run to you. He's going to wrap his arms around you. He's going to say, let's have a feast. That's what heaven's going to look like. Church, today as we have communion, as we reflect back on the cross, as we fellowship with one another, my call to you is to no longer bury your talent out of fear of a master, but instead use your talent because you fear being apart from the master. Let's pray.